We are starting a new series today. We're starting a new message series that is going to go for three weeks. And I'm, I'm really excited. I am excited to be here. I'm excited for us to look at these scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I'm convinced that there is some potential in these scriptures, a couple of short verses, for it to shape our lives for the rest of our lives. We want to be people who are molded by Scripture, that allow Scripture to shape our, the way that we see the world, the way that we see ourselves. And, and this, these are among my favorite verses for Scripture. In fact, I chose these verses when I was getting licensed, when I was coming into uh, the pastoral ministry. I, I chose these particular verses to, to speak on. You're supposed to give a little practice sermon of like 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, but I'm hoping that these will become your favorite verses too, or among some of your favorite verses. So we're going to spend the next three Sundays on just two verses. These are in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So just to give you a little bit of background, the book of Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. The, the New Testament, if you uh, look at the whole New Testament, it starts out with four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it talks about the life of Jesus. Then following that, there's the book of Acts, which tells about the Acts of the Apostles, and it says these are the things that happened in the church that was getting started right after Jesus, and what happened in the church. Everything after that are all letters. They were letters written from one person to another, or from one person to a group, a specific city, like this one written to Colossae, one written to Rome, a couple of them written to Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, things like that. Some were written as a, as a larger letter to be um, shared around to other places. Uh, Peter, when he writes his letter, he says that it's meant to be shared around. All of these, at some point, had started to get shared to other churches. They were written to one specific church, but other people said, hey, there's some useful stuff in there that's relevant to all of us. And they started to be shared in the early church, and that's how they made, them down, they made it down to us. So in these two short verses in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he's going to use the image of a tree to describe our faith. And he describes its roots, its trunk, and then the fruit of the tree. So go ahead and put, yeah, there you go, perfect. So, so this is verses 6 and 7. It says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And you can see, he says then, rooted and built up in him, there's the roots, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, the trunk, and overflowing with thankfulness. So this is the image of, of a tree that is vibrant and green and producing fruit. It has these deep roots, and it has a really strong trunk, and, it has, it's, and all of that is going to allow it to bear fruit. And it's also an image of our faith. And it's the image that we want to have, this image of our faith as this flourishing faith. You want your faith in Christ to be healthy, to be vibrant, to be flourishing. And to get that vibrant, overflowing fruitfulness, what we need is we need to have that, that trunk that is really strong, that is supported in these roots that are sunk into Jesus, that good soil. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take each of those in turn. We're going to look at the roots and the trunk and then the fruit. But we're going to start off where the apostle starts off, with the roots. And here's his main point, is that every Christian, every Christian, you, me, all of us, we need to be rooted in Christ. And, and that, that might seem super obvious 
in, on one level, right? Of course. If we're Christians, we're supposed to be rooted in Christ. But we're going to see that isn't always the case. To be rooted in Christ is going to mean that our faith life is going to begin in Christ. It's going to continue in Christ. And it's going to be sustained by life in Christ. That's where I'm going this morning. We're going to talk about beginning in Christ, being, uh, continuing in Christ, and being sustained in Christ. Let's, let's pray to begin. Father, we ask you to, to teach us by your word. Use your word uh, to get in us. It says that Christ is the word. We, we understand that he is the key to all scripture. He's what it's all about. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be at work in us, teaching us, softening our hearts to areas that need to be softened, and maybe even just reminding us of this throughout the week so that we can, we can live it out when we leave from here. We want to be people who are formed by this and not just have it be a one-hour thing on Sunday. May, may you be glorified, we pray, by this word, and we pray that we will be people who are really rooted in Christ. In his name, amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to back up from verses 6 to 7. I'm going to read the context, the immediate context, the few verses before that. If you are reading with me, you can open your Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians 2. If you open your app to Colossians 2, during the immersed time we were reading in the New Living Translation, this one I've, I've chosen the New International Version, just so you know which one it is. Paul says this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, another city that was nearby, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So he's going to have a lot to say in there. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit and break it down. First of all, he, he begins by saying that he is praying for them. Well, actually, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. He, he's, he's fighting. This is the way that he prays for them. He prays like he's fighting, like he's fighting a battle for them. He's, he's contending for them, like he is, he is in a, an ongoing fight for their faith. And, uh, and he is wanting them to be rooted in Christ. But when I thought about this image of contending, I thought, gosh, is that really what my prayers look like? I'm, I'm not sure if always I would say that my prayers are that fervent or if they are even that selfless. This isn't even relating specifically to Paul in his own life. It's one thing for him to pray, Lord, give me enough to eat today. It's an entirely different thing to say, I'm praying for these other people that they will be rooted in Christ, even a bunch of people he doesn't know. And I, when I thought about that, I thought, do you, do you remember a few years ago when there was that, there was a soccer team in Thailand, isn't that right? It was in Thailand where the, the kids got stuck in the cave underground, right? 
And there were all of these people. There was a mobilized, a huge army of people to rescue these kids. And I, don't, I didn't watch the movie, so I don't know if, uh, in the end, if they knew very much about what was happening above ground. They certainly couldn't have known all of the fight that was going on for their lives. That there were these people who were mobilized then to go down and rescue, for them, rescue them. You could say that those people were contending for them. They were fighting for their lives because the others were, were trapped. They had no hope of getting out themselves. And when I think about this idea of, of contending for them in prayer, I think about the way that, the, that the, the first responders, all the people who had mobilized to save that soccer team, thought that we should be people who, when we pray for others, that we can mobilize other people and even motivate ourselves to be able to say, I want to be active and, and actively seeking after these other people to pray for them with that kind of contending spirit, I'm fighting for you. And, and it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I want to pray when that relates to me personally. That of course, I want to fight for and, and, and pray fervently for my family or for things that affect me personally. But how much better even for us to do that for other people, uh, to, to pray for others who, who it doesn't af- directly affect your own personal fortunes or y- the way that you experience life. I, I think about, hey, there, it was wonderful. We had all of the baptisms last week. Wasn't that beautiful? Seven youth got baptized. I, I know that some of the kids, you know, that their families don't go to church here. Some of them uh, don't even go to families that, that go to church. And, and to think we could be the people who are contending for them, that we would continue to pray for them. To not, we, we said that we were going to support them in their faith life. What would it mean for us to pray for them to continue to be rooted in Christ? Maybe you had people who prayed for you when you were young, your, your parents, your grandparents. Uh, maybe you have kids in this church that you're praying for. Who, who's going to be praying for them? Uh, join me in praying for them. Pray that they will be supported, rooted, in cont- and we will contend for those kids and all the other kids who are in our youth group and other people who are here in our, in our community, whether, however loosely they may be affiliated. So Paul, he's gonna, he says, I'm praying for them. I'm contending for them. And he prays, he says, I'm praying that you'll be encouraged. I'm praying that you will be united together, that there'll be this unity between you and other people, that you will have the riches of full understanding. He's he's praying all these great things. So that you may know the mystery of Christ. He says, that's the key. I want you to know the mystery of Christ. But what a weird word for him to choose talking about Jesus. Mystery. Why would we say mystery? Well, so he says this word, mystery of God. The word mystery today, when we think about it, if you read the study guide, I said, I said, when we think of mysteries now, we think of maybe Agatha Christie, or if you're of a different kind of genre, Scooby-Doo. Right? You think of a mystery. They have the mystery machine even. Right? So, but the idea of mystery was a Greek idea. The New Testament was written originally in Greek, in Koine Greek, and when in their word, in their world, there was this idea of a mysterion, a mystery, and this mystery was any, I'm going to read this out of this, any divine or heavenly reality which is regarded as hidden or secret and can only be known when revealed by the gods. So in the Greek-speaking world, they had this idea of a mystery, but the mystery wasn't something that was just for you to figure out on your own. You could only understand it when the gods revealed it. And so Paul is taking this idea from Greek culture, and he's, he's co-opting it and saying, that's exactly what God was doing. So he steals this idea, and he says, that's, that's what God is doing. God revealed himself in Christ. You never could have guessed this one. 
That's why we needed him to reveal himself. And he revealed himself now like a secret that is now divulged. That Christ is this great secret. And that's actually what, what he says. This is Paul uh, elsewhere. This is, this is earlier, the chapter before. Paul says this in, in Colossians 1. He says this, God's plan was to make me a servant. So this is Paul's idea of himself. Make me a servant of his church to send me to preach his complete message to you. For ages and ages, this message was kept secret from everyone, but now it has been explained to God's people. So Christ was this, this secret that was kind of hidden in plain sight, that now when we understand about Christ, we can look back in the Old Testament and we see him everywhere. But we wouldn't have necessarily seen it unless God had revealed it, and we needed God to do that. So Paul's job is now being a secret teller. He gets to tell this secret that has been hidden. He has this mystery. And so it's not that Christ is difficult to understand. It's that we can only really see Christ when God has revealed him to us. And so that is what Paul is praying for his people. This secret is now revealed and that we will understand it and, and live into it. He's praying hard. He's fighting in prayer that these regular believers would know Christ, this great treasure and mystery that God has revealed to us. It's like God told us where the treasure was. It's like there, we, there was a secret treasure that was hidden, and he's given us the map. So all we have to do is go there. It's there for us. Last week, I gave us a challenge that we would pray for people who are, maybe wouldn't naturally, we wouldn't think they would naturally want to come to God. People who aren't yet followers of Christ, that, that, that this great mercy and hope of God would come to them because we believe that anyone can be saved. Anyone can receive God's mercy. That's the power of the gospel, that Christ is freedom for anyone. What's interesting, so that's talking about people who don't yet believe. But what's interesting here is that Paul is praying for people who already believe in Christ, but he prays for them. I'm praying that you will know him. So it's one thing for us to pray for people who don't know him. Of course, people, I don't follow Jesus, I don't believe in him. But he's saying, you, you're Christians. I'm praying that you will really know him. Really experience this depth of a walk with Christ. It seems kind of strange at first, but I know from my own experience that, that as I have traveled along this road with Christ, that I do feel like I know him more. I, I know more now than I did before. That's the, that's the right trajectory for a believer. So you shouldn't ever be embarrassed to pray that you would know God more. You shouldn't be embarrassed if anybody else prays that you will, that you will know Christ more more, to truly know Christ. It doesn't have to even be a rude thing. I pray, I want you to pray that for me. Pray that I will truly know Christ. Because we don't just pray for non-believers to know Christ. We pray also for followers of Jesus to truly know him, to, to realize what a treasure that is. It's, it's, a, it's a revealing of something that's already right in front of our eyes. I have a friend who, uh, when his kids were little, he uh, it's difficult when you have little ones, maybe like several under the age of five. Life can be a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult. And he remembered that, that sometimes grandparents would come to him and say, I just want you to treasure these moments with your kids because it goes, it goes so fast, right? And it's so, it, it is true, right? It's true, you should treasure those moments. But it, was, it became a joke between he and I 
that like when his kid was losing their, its mind in the grocery store, like on the ground, flopping around and screaming, spitting and this stuff, and we would look at each other and we would go, treasure these moments. <laughs> treasure these moments. So it's true, there are difficulties. That being said, it's, you know, we need to think, okay, what does it mean for me to know Christ? I, there's, a, there's an element of being a parent that you know that I should treasure it. It's, there's, there's a treasuring of life, and, and sometimes we have to pause and just say, hey, this thing is good. It can be difficult, but I, I can realize what a good moment this is. Uh, and I want to tell you, if your kids are younger, they become teenagers, so they treasure these moments. Um, Nah, my teenager's doing great. Did you see, that was my son who gave the announcements, if you don't know that. I was really happy about that. Uh, first ever person in the history of Simi Covenant Church to volunteer to do the announcements. He came to me, so I'm kind of, whew, I couldn't say no. What can I say? <laughs> so we pray for non-believers to know Christ. We pray for ourselves to know Christ because we can always treasure that thing more. We can understand it in a deeper way. In our, it's one thing for us to say, yes, I appreciate my spouse. But we can say, hey, I, I, I pray that you will know your spouse deeply. You know them, but I pray that you will really know them. I pray that you will know your friends in a new way as never before. And, and I pray that you will know Christ, someone that you know, but you can know him more. All right, so our, our life in Christ begins in Christ. And we need to be rooted in him. That's where it all begins. And, and he says, though, that he says, just as you accepted Christ as Lord, continue in him. And that's the second point. So our being rooted begins in Christ. Secondly, it needs to continue in Christ. He says, this, there's some continuity. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So there's some continuity that happens here between when we first receive the the good news, when we hear this message about Christ, when it's been revealed, this mystery has been revealed to us, it's not new news to you, well, you're still supposed to continue in that. that we're continuing in that sense of humility, in the simplicity that we received it in our ongoing life with Christ. It's not, like, it's not like you receive Christ and then move on from that thing. There's a continuity between that. Maybe you've been to the Getty Museum, great place. Uh, it's an amazing resource, really just around the corner from us. Uh, you have to pay for parking, but the actual museum is free. I recommend that you go there. Uh, I could ask you, do you know the Getty? I said, yeah. You know, I, yes, I have seen it up the hill. I drive by it on the 405 when I'm going to LAX, right? I'm usually pretty stressed when I drive by the Getty and I know I'm going to LAX or something. <laughs> but that's, that's one kind of knowing. There's one kind of knowing where you say, yes, I know where it is, right? We can know God in that same kind of way. Yeah, I know where God is. I know where I can access him. It's another thing to say, yeah, you know what, I've been there. I've experienced it for myself. I, I, I not only know that there's amazing artwork, I know that there are beautiful grounds, that even just the, the sculpted gardens that are there, and really even the architecture itself of the buildings is artwork. There's a, a beautiful way that it was, all the architecture was done, the, the artistry of the buildings, all the space itself is part of it. So you've, you've experienced that. So that's another kind of knowing. I have been there. I know what it looks like. But the thing is, at the Getty, there's always more. There, there are people who are experts in, in one genre of paintings, and they can dedicate years to learning. I even I did the tour the last time I was there, and I learned things I hadn't known before, connecting 
between different paintings and different ideas. So you could go back to the Getty over and over again for years, and you could still learn new things, right? You can still get more out of it. And I want to say, Christ is even better than the Getty. Christ is better than the Getty. Christ, Paul says, in him are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom in Christ. That means that we can go back to him over and over again. The, the book of Colossians says a lot of very lofty things about Jesus, but this has to rank up there. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in, as we begin our faith in Christ, we're supposed to continue in him. So keep seeing him as amazing. He is, he's got so much more for us to discover. I, I, there, was, there was one person uh, when we had come to a text, and he said, oh, you know what, I've already read this scripture before. Kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm, I've done that one. I read that part of the Bible. I want to tell you, when we come back to it, there can be something new because you're a new person. You're in a different life stage. You're experiencing new things. And maybe from the experience of what you've read somewhere else, now you bring that to understand this in a deeper way. I think this whole idea of, of Christ being the center of all knowledge um, says a couple things. Uh, it, there is always more to find. Because it's interesting. There's this light, an image of movement always associated with faith in Christ, that we always talk about our walk of faith, our journey with Christ. We're moving in that direction. So there's something more to learn as you're farther down the road. And he says, all the treasures are hidden in him. That means that, that really, ultimately, real truth is in him. If you have read some of the Narnia novels by C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was a Christian uh, apologist. He uh, talked about the faith in really different ways. He had been a professor at Cambridge and Oxford super bright guy. He wrote a series of children's novels called The Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you saw even one of the movies. Uh, they are Christian-themed, uh, which is interesting. You don't always catch it. Just like the mystery, people can watch The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and not know that it's about Jesus, even when there's the lion who represents Christ, who dies on behalf of a sinner, and then he comes back to life again. Uh, we, if you see that, you can see that just as a, as a non-believer, you don't know. But as a Christian, you see that and you say, this is Christ. I understand it. Well, in the last of that series, it's called The Great Battle. There is, uh, there's this moment where everyone gets to go to the new creation. They go to heaven. And there's a discussion between some of the animals. And I think it's the unicorn who says, there, there's somebody who says, oh, I know this place. When they get there, they say, this is the greatness of Narnia. All the best things that I loved about Narnia, the reason why I loved it, it's because it reminded me of this place. They were saying, the great things that I know on earth, if they're really great and really help me to grow, it's because they actually remind us about heaven, of what heaven is. The really best things are the ones that when we get to heaven, we'll say, oh, those, I like those things because they remind me of this. And I think that what we're going to see is that he says, Christ, in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. And anything that we see as being truly good or truly wise, in the end, we're going to be able to say, oh, that's because it was connected to Jesus. That's who he is. There's always something more to get in him. All right. So to be rooted in Christ means that our faith begins in Christ. It means that our life needs to continue from Christ, continue, those roots need to continue to bring us nutrients. 
but it finally, it needs to be, thirdly, sustained by Christ. That's the third and final one. And it needs to be sustained by Christ. And, and it, there's going to be, I just want to take two different circumstances where it can be sustained. I want to think about in spite of our difficulties and in spite of deceptive teachings. These are kind of the things that we're going to get at here in, in, to be sustained by him. So in spite of difficulties, if we're rooted in Christ, we're going to be able to face the difficulties that are common to all people. And we're going to do it with hope. The, the sufferings we experience, they're going to come, but we're going to be rooted in Christ. The prophet Jeremiah, he takes this image of a tree in Jeremiah 17, 5 to 8, and he compares being rooted in God to being rooted in something else. Let me read this. This is Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, have put a curse on those who turn from me and trust in human strength. They will dry up like a bush in salty desert soil where nothing can grow. But I will bless those who trust me, the Lord. They will be like trees growing beside a stream. Good spot for a tree, right? To be near a stream. Trees with roots that reach down to the water and with leaves that are always green. They bear fruit every year and are never worried by a lack of rain. Hey, if, we, if we're trusting in our own strength, we're going to end up drying up at times. Because I know that I get tired and I run out. My smarts run out. My experience runs out. The, whatever other resources I've got run out. My money runs out. My time runs out. We aren't able at some point to tap into anything more. We get to the end of our understanding or our contacts or our money. There's just nothing more. But he says, a person who trusts in God is like a tree by a stream where there's always water. That tree has resources even in dry times. So difficulties are still coming. The, the dry times come, but the tree doesn't wither because it continues to grow and bear fruit because it's connected to that stream. Paul, he seems like he, in this Colossians, he doesn't mention that directly, but he seems to assume that they're going to have these difficulties in life. But he does take special care then to talk to them about that they're going to need to be sustained by Christ in the spite of deceptive teachings. It's on the forefront of his mind because he says it twice even in this short little passage. He wants them to value the treasure and the wisdom that is Christ and, and not to go to anything else. Don't go, you don't have to go anywhere else. Because he says it in two different times, Colossians 2.4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I don't want you to get tricked by people who talk really nicely and, and are real slick. Let's not fall for that. Verse 8, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spirits, spiritual forces of this world, kind of the basic principles of the world. There might be something spiritual with that as well rather than on Christ. You're, you're depending on kind of the basic wisdom, the basic way the world works, rather than on Christ. He says, I don't want you to get tricked by these philosophies. And a philosophy is simply a way of understanding the world. There's a way that we understand the world. And, and in that sense, Christianity is just a type of philosophy. We have a philosophy of the world. We see the world through the lens of this good God who created the world good, but that the created order was disrupted by sin. That we disobeyed God. We ignored him, but we actively turned away from God. But that God has never given up on his creation. He never did. In fact, he always planned to 
to do something about it. He stayed connected with his people. We saw that as we looked through the books of the prophets. But he also, even more, he entered directly into the creation in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only did he teach wonderful things, but he specifically came to give his life as a ransom for many that we might live, to buy us back, that God would redeem us out of this sinful world, to be the one true light that we may follow him. And we, can, we now can choose Christ. And he not only died for our sins, but was proven to be the victorious when he rose again. He says, I have power over life and death. So anyone who is in him, anyone who follows him, can have this reassurance and this knowledge that we can be saved and live forever with him because he has the power over death. Christ offers us life in him. And that is the, the paradigm that we Christians enter into the world. So when we see that the world is broken, we say, yes, we, we, haven't got, we don't give up on the world because God didn't give up on the world. But the reason why it's broken isn't because we didn't have enough education. It's the, the solution to the problem isn't just teaching more. The solution to the problem isn't just adding more money or fixing our laws. Those are good things. We should do that. But that's not going to solve the problem because the problem is always inside me. I need God to deal with me. That's our philosophy, and there are other philosophies, though. I think that the Christian view of the cosmos explains and offers the best holistic understanding for the world and the way it works. But there are other philosophies, and, and some of the top philosophies in our world today, hey, one of the top ones is consumerism. All we got to do is just buy enough and keep the economy going. That's the biggest thing. Another competing philosophy in the world is nihilism, that the world just doesn't have any meaning at all. There's no intrinsic meaning to it all. However we got to here, there's no meaning, whether there's a God who doesn't care about us or whether we were just created from nothing and there was just that all there is is atoms. That means that there's, it's all the values and morals we have are just social constructs and any, anything goes. There's no intrinsic meaning to it. There are other, that's, a, that's a seductive thing, and that's a, a lot of the world operates through without even necessarily thinking that. That's, those are some of the basic philosophies that we have. Uh, other kinds of philosophy, take the Christian message and twist it a little bit to be a little bit different. That would be uh, when we talk about Mormonism. I, some of the best people I know are Mormons. They're really great. Uh, but it's, it's a Christian philosophy that has been tweaked, and it doesn't offer the same treasure of Christ in the same way. It doesn't doesn't say that Christ is the one who was since forever. It says that you can be a new God. Or Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, it takes a Christian thing and twists it. Although there are other things that are like that. Christian nationalism takes Christianity and twists it. Uh, super uh, Christian liberalism takes it and twists it. And there are other philosophies. What we want, though, is Christ. We want him, not him plus other stuff. Amanda, a little while ago, said, hey, are you concerned about the future? Maybe you're concerned about the allure of these other worldviews, the gravitational pull of any of those things on the church and on people. I want to let you know, the good news is Paul was concerned about that too. But the issue wasn't about making, it's, so that whole idea about making something other than Christ our base is not a new thing. What should we do, though? We should pray. 
We need to be people who are praying. So the truth is, every generation is going to face new temptations, new difficulties, new counter-philosophies to the, to the ministry of, ex, of exposing the mystery of God, Christ, to them. Every generation is going to have allure, the allure of other philosophies or worldviews. So then the question is, what do we do about that? It, it helps if you, are, if you are not as uh, sucked in by some of the worldviews that maybe younger generations would. You have a perspective. If you're older, you, you don't feel the same sway of those things as somebody who is younger. And one of the values that I have heard repeated over and over again in our church is that we value intergenerationality. We want to be intergenerational, intentionally so. And I want to tell you, the burden of intergenerationality always falls on the older generation. So if we want to be intergenerational, that means I'm Gen X, so uh, the burden of intergenerationality falls on me to, to minister and love people who are millennials, Gen Z, Gen, the next one, Generation A, below that. That's what they say. They say it starts all over again, I guess. So it, um, that's, I am responsible to disciple younger generations than me. If you were born before 1965, that's the generation above mine, this, this is meant to be some of the most fruitful years of your faith. Because you are maturing in Christ. You have a position where you can influence many generations below you. You bear the responsibility to pray for these other generations to be, to be rooted in Christ, like how Paul is praying for them. You, it's our responsibility to do everything we can to teach and disciple others, to invest in them, and even to show by our example what it means to be rooted in Christ. And maybe even when we are not, to admit it and to beg for forgiveness and show what, show what turning, back and, and turning back to God looks like. So I want to ask you, I want you to show us. If you are... If there is a generation below you, I want you to show them what it looks like to resist consumerism. That's a false philosophy that Paul's praying, and I don't want other people to be in that. Show us what it looks like to resist nihilism, to say, I guess there's no meaning anymore. Show us what it looks like to be rooted in Christ. Demonstrate the truth that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ and in nothing else. That's what we want. And that, that would be true intergenerationality is we have people praying and serving as examples to each other. That would be really meaningful. We could really get some major discipleship traction. To be rooted in Christ means that our faith begins in Christ. And it, it shouldn't change from there. It needs to continue in him. And finally, it has to be sustained by Christ in spite of whatever may come, in spite of whatever other philosophies or temptations there are. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And I pray that when we do that, we will be deeper into Christ. We'll be more mature. We will be more fruitful. So here's my challenge for us this week. I would like for you, go ahead and put up our challenge. I would like for you to memorize Colossians 2, 6-7. to If you are here in the worship center, not online, uh, you were provided a card with this verse on it. Uh, I would, you can use that. You can tape it somewhere where you can see it. Maybe you can, if, if you're not opening your Bible during the week, don't just leave it in your Bible, okay? That's not a good place you run into it. Put it somewhere where you're going to run into it, okay? Uh, put this on your, 
bathroom mirror or something like that, we did not provide you tape. Tape not included, okay? Uh, so you're going to have to do a little action on your own. I would love for you to memorize these two verses this week, but we want this scripture to get in us, right? Part of rooting ourselves in Christ is getting that word in us and rooting it in our minds. And next week, you know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about how we are going to face some of these difficulties in life, and how can we do that with dignity and with purpose and meaning and hope? Because that's what it's going to mean for us to be strengthened in him. It's going to be different for us if we do that with the God of the universe at our side. We're going to continue there next week as we get into week two of Flourishing Faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that thinking about this, this idea of being rooted in Christ seems so simple in a way. It's so basic, but I pray that we'll never move away from it. It's where we started, and I pray that's where we continue. And I pray that that's the thing that sustains us all the way till the end in our last breath, that we will know that we are in you, and that's our only hope. That's our life, that we have this God who loved us so much to give his life for us. May we be known as a community that cares about that more than anything else. And I pray that we will be intergenerational. I pray that we will invest in other generations and other people in our community, that we'll be praying hard and struggling for them all around us. We ask that because of what Jesus did for us.